0: Is
1: photographing.
0: <laughs> <It's> photographing. <laughs> I'm zooming. <laughs> okay, Daddy, we're in on you. <laughs> the year was 1996. The Macarena was the number one hit song for a record breaking 14 consecutive weeks. At dinnertime, families would gather around their TV sets to watch Full House and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It was a simpler time. The internet was barely a thing. People didn't have computers in their home, and if they did, they used them to play Minesweeper, which, let's be honest, no one really knew how to play anyway. Tamagotchis were a thing, a thing that I loved. All in all, 1996 was a rad year. It was also a year that rocked my family's foundation to its core and made it seem like my world was ending. You see, up until that point, my world was magic. I was six. My sister Alyssa was ten. We had the most beautiful, kind, loving parents. We lived in a yellow house on a hill, in a quaint fishing village in eastern Canada. Our childhood was idyllic. And then, on a snowy night in 1996, my mom died.
1: And then I remember Grampy Daly coming, like, barging in the kitchen door, and he was like, you need to come with me. I think he said Charmaine's had an accident or whatever. Yeah, he did, because I remember having thoughts after. So my, I remember dad saying, Where's my shoes? Where's my shoes? And he grabbed his shoes and he left.
0: That's my sister, Alyssa. And I'm Lauren, a palliative care doctor, motherless daughter, longtime griever, and believer that having a healthy relationship with death is the secret to living a more fulfilled life. Welcome to the first ever episode of Talk Dying To Me, a podcast where we will take a deep dive into all things related to death, dying, grief, loss, and basically all the hard stuff that life throws our way. And to start us off, my sister and I sat down to talk about our mom's death for the first time and well, ever, if I'm being perfectly honest. So here's the first of a two-part episode to get us started. I remember
1: like going to the bathroom and I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if she's going to have like a broken leg or a broken arm. Like maybe she'll have to stay in the hospital. And it was almost like excitement. Like Mm -hmm. maybe we'll get to visit her in the hospital.
0: Okay. So my mom was in an accident. Big deal. My dad was in a car accident two years earlier. He broke his leg. He was totally fine. And the only repercussion was that we had to sit on the couch for six weeks and eat butterscotch ice cream and watch Turner and Hooch on repeat. What was the worst that could happen?
1: And I just think back now thinking like, because I had no, no one I knew had ever died. That wasn't even a possibility. Like I didn't even think that that was a possibility. So uh, yeah, we just kind of went about the night. We weren't sure. I don't think we asked too many questions because I think we just assumed it was whatever, like probably just a little accident. Like I don't remember being overly nervous or scared or anything even when neighbors started showing up.
0: That's right. Neighbors and family members and friends started filing into our house, carrying casseroles and food and vegetable trays. And to you city slickers out there, that would probably be a dead giveaway, pun intended, that something terrible had just happened. But for us country bumpkins, it's actually pretty standard to have people drop by and to pop in and see how you're doing and... To my sister and myself, who never experienced death or dying or terrible things, it all felt pretty normal. And then we saw him, and we knew something really bad had happened.
1: I remember that dad came home, and I can picture him like walking down the hallway, and he looked like crap. And then I remember we were in my room... And so we all went down there and, like, I still don't think that I had any real clue that that was the news that we were going to get or that's what – like, it just seems so ridiculous now. But I guess I was only 10, right? I just remember it got kind of quiet. Yeah, and then I just remember Dad saying – (laughs) Like, I feel like the words are, like, in my head, but I don't know if I'm 100% accurate. But I remember him saying, like, girls, mommy was in a bad, bad accident and she's in heaven. I I don't know. Like, from that moment on, I just remember feeling like I wanted to hold it all in. My memory
0: Um, of dad telling us was much more blunt. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Like, I remember him saying, mommy was in an accident and she's gone. She's dead. That's what I remember.
1: I don't remember gone or dead at all. I remember him. I don't remember it like that. It's funny you say that. I don't remember it blunt. Like when I think back, I picture like his young face and like I could tell like he was trying not to lose it probably. And I don't even know if he did lose it completely even after he told us, but there was like a hitch in his voice and like.
0: By now you're probably wondering, Lauren, why are you telling us this terrible story? This is so sad. Don't you have any lighthearted fun stories to share with us? The answer is no, as you'll soon learn, I'm only capable of telling sad stories. But in all honesty, it's been 23 years since my sister and I sat on that bed and learned about our mom's death. And we've had the privilege of growing in our grief, of reflecting on our loss through the years in a way that's enhanced our lives immeasurably. And now, 23 years later, we sit together once again to tell you our story. Sometimes, when we hear stories of people living through hard stuff, stuff like death and dying, grief and loss, we can stand in front of our own mirror. We're provided with space to analyze our lives in the context of our own tragedies. And that can be pretty damn liberating. So my hope is that this episode and this podcast, which is really a podcast about all the hard stuff, Will give you permission to take a closer look at your own life, your own loss, and hopefully learn and grow from it. It won't take away the pain, but it might help to know that you're not alone. And the hard stuff? Yeah, that shit's gonna happen to everyone. What do you remember about our mom? Like, just her?
1: Yeah. Um. God, I didn't think you were gonna ask me that right off of bat.
0: What the hell did you think I was gonna ask <laughs> like- you? Like, with
1: if we talk about, like, little lingering things, I guess I remember, like, her smell a little bit.
0: I also remember her smell. It was the 1990s version of Vaseline Intensive Care Lotion, which you can't buy anymore. And I know this for a fact because I will routinely go into the drugstores and smell every single type of Vaseline Intensive Care Lotion and have yet to find one That smells exactly like my mom, but it was Vaseline intensive care lotion and she used to lather it on after her evening bath and then she would snuggle us on the couch or in the rocking chair and it is the best, most blissful, soul-soothing smell I've ever experienced. I remember (laughs) being
1: somewhere once, I think it was like on a school trip. And that's all I could smell. Like someone must have been wearing it. It was in like a movie theater or something. It was in middle school. And I just, that's all I could smell. It just kind of like permeated.
0: Another key memory I have of my mom is when she would rock me to sleep, which was almost every night in this god-awful, mint green, velvety reclining chair. I remember the sound it made when it rocked. I remember reaching up and stroking her neck and her face, which were always so soft, probably because of the Vaseline intensive care lotion. I am not being paid to say that, but hey, Vaseline, if you want to sponsor this show, you know where to find me.
1: I remember the noise of the rocking chair for sure, but I definitely remember her rocking you and I remember her saying that she used to watch like taped versions of Matlock when you used to wake up in the night.
0: I also remember not being able to go to sleep unless she was a, like sitting in the wicker chair.
1: Well, I didn't even sleep in my own room until I was like twelve years old. Or I had something a lot ridiculous. of sleep anxiety. Me too, but I think that's because, like, as a mom now, when I look back, I think that she did rock us a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I think that she, I think that we were with people falling asleep a lot when
0: we were babies. Okay, so you know that whole sleep training thing that parents do these days. Yeah, my mom. Would have been really, really bad at that, like impossibly bad at it. And in fact, she was. We were with her constantly while we fell asleep. And I bet you she got a lot of flack for it. In fact, I can almost hear all of the older ladies in my community saying, Charmaine, come on, you're going to spoil them. They're not going to be able to sleep without you. What are you doing? But you know what? As a kid who only had her mom for six years, God, I'm so grateful she chose to snuggle us and to rock us to sleep every night. It may have left us with some sleep issues, not going to lie, but it was worth it. And I bet you she would say it was worth it too.
1: When we used to go in the car, she used to kind of like touch my hand. And I I know that I do it with my own kids now. She was very firm i knew not to mess with her at the same time i knew that she was really kind from like specific kind of moments i guess in my childhood that i remember that stand out like i remember this one time we were at the the old movie theater on main street and we were waiting in line to get like snacks and there was this kid in front, and it was when $2 bills were still around, so it was a while ago. And he didn't have enough money to pay for whatever it was. And I remember her, like, giving him money. And I just, it's just kind of, I guess, a continuous stream of moments like that, that I remember, <laughs> to prove the kindness thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a little glimpse of my mom. She was young and beautiful and kind. She was a well-respected middle school English teacher. She loved fast cars and country music and, apparently, Star Trek, which is something I'll personally never understand, but some things about our parents are just better left unknown. She always rooted for the underdog, and she spoke up for people who needed someone in their corner. She was beloved amongst her colleagues, by her students, by her friends, her community, and, most importantly, her family. So there we were. A six year old, a 10 year old, their 30 something year old father. And we had just found out that our mom, the spunky, beautiful, kind Trekkie, was driving down a snowy highway in our community a few hours earlier when her car collided with an oncoming vehicle. She died on impact. Or, as someone put it to me as a kid, the angels swooped down and got her right away. I'm sure this was supposed to make me feel better, but not going to lie, it kind of creeped me out.
1: And I just remember, I guess, like that night, everybody just, like the house seemed full. Mm -hmm. People started bringing food immediately. Like, I remember people walking in. I remember one neighbor in particular have her face in my head. It's funny who you have in your head, but she was like carrying a tray. She was really somber. But it was just, it's so weird as a kid because it's like, how do you act? You know, like everybody around you is sad and mourning. And then I remember
0: part of me thinking,
1: what am I supposed, like, am I supposed to be sad? Am I allowed to laugh? Am I allowed to smile?
0: I remember sitting on my neighbor's lap, and America's Funniest Home Videos was on TV. And of course, this was the 90s, so Bob Saget was on there, as usual, cracking terrible jokes. And I remember saying to my neighbor, we're going to have to watch a lot of America's Funniest Home Videos if we're ever going to laugh again. And I thought I was being clever. Like, I thought this was a funny thing to say, and I was expecting him to laugh or, at the very least, crack a smile. But nope, he did not. He, he bawled. He sobbed at my comment. Which, of course, he did. Because it's a heartbreaking thing for a six-year-old who just lost her mom to say. What I realize now is that that was my first experience with this helter-skelter reality that arises in the immediate aftermath of traumatic loss.
1: You really, as a kid, and a lot of adults, though, even probably don't really know how to behave or what's appropriate and what's not. And I think that when you deal with it at such a young age and you think about it so much, it's really that there is no appropriate way and you shouldn't be judging
0: other people. There is no appropriate way to navigate the worst day of your life when your world crumbles before you. Your response might look a little crazy or chaotic to an outsider, but 99% of the time, it's very much a normal response to an abnormal set of circumstances, like the death of a young mother from a tight-knit community. No one knows what to say. No one knows how to act. A comment that brings laughter to one can stir up just the right amount of hurt to bring another to tears. And in that confused moment, when my quirky comment about America's Funniest Home Videos provoked tears instead of a laugh, I felt the chaos a little more acutely. The walls of my world closed in, and I knew things would never be the same. Most of the days that followed our mom's death are a total blur for Alyssa and I, But there are a few key moments that stood out. Moments that will be impossible for us to forget.
1: Dad, I remember hearing him throw up a lot. And I remember hearing him in the basement because I was laying on the floor. So through the the register, you could kind of like hear sometimes. And Grampy Daly was down there talking to him and I didn't catch like the whole conversation. But and it was funny because, I mean, Poppy Daly, I probably till that night hadn't heard him speak, <laughs> um, you know, like 10 words in a sentence. He was just more like, you know, your mother and I are, are going to be here for you. Like, you don't have to worry. Like, it was kind of a, you know, a, a declaration of support, I guess. And I remember that you started crying. I feel it was probably like 630. So it was like early in the morning. And so I remember going to get Any Lois or Lillian. I don't remember who I said, like, I remember saying, Lauren's crying again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Alyssa's empathic nature only developed post-1996. But
1: yeah, so I went to get Lois and then somebody went to comfort you.
0: For reference, Lois is my dad's older sister.
1: Then Lois had this big conversation with me and I still remember we were in the front living room and it was still dark outside and it was cold. That picture window used to kind of like fog up a little bit, you know, like condensation. And Lois told me this story about these water
0: beetles. Okay, so the story of the water beetles goes like this. There's this community of water beetles living in a pond, and there's a beautiful water lily that floats on the surface of the pond. But of course, all the water beetles can see is the stem leading down to their home. And every now and then, a water beetle will follow the stem up to the surface of the pond and never be seen again. And this was very curious to the community of water beetles, and of course it also made them real sad. And so one day this super adventurous and brave water beetle decided he was going to solve the mystery of the stem and he was going to climb it all the way up and report back to his community and let them know what's on the other side. So he climbs all the way up the water lily stem and when he breaks through the surface he's exhausted so he takes a real nice long nap and then he wakes up and he realizes that his body has changed. He has these huge iridescent wings and he feels super light and energized and so he starts flying around his new world and it's amazing it's beautiful it's so beyond what he could have ever imagined and then he remembers his friends and his family and says god i really gotta go tell them how amazing this is that this isn't scary at all that it's truly wonderful but when he tries to break through the surface of the pond to go back to his home he realizes that he can't His body had changed and it was no longer equipped to swim, it could only fly. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't break through the surface, and so he had to just trust that one day his loved ones would discover how beautiful this new world is, just like he had. A day or two after my mom died, we visited my grandparents, her parents, and the practical realities of our new life started to sink in.
1: We started thinking beyond a little bit. Like, what would the future possibly look like? We weren't just living in the shock of the now anymore. And so she was talking about things like, Mom, I just ordered you some cowboy boots that you wanted.
0: Sweet. Thanks, Mom.
1: They're like these little kid cowboy boots. So she was saying, like, who's going to... Charmaine was going to pick those up next week. Who's going to pick up those cowboy boots? And then I remember saying... Who's going to do our laundry?
0: I laugh at this point because this is exactly the thing my sister would worry about and exactly the thing I could not care less about. My sister is a neat freak by nature. I once woke up to her color coordinating her clothes so that they matched the hangers they were on. I, on the other hand, run out of clean underwear, not infrequently, and have been known to resort to wearing bathing suit bottoms under my clothes more times than I'm willing to admit. So who was going to do our laundry wasn't exactly the top of my worries then, certainly not the top of my worries now.
1: And I remember it really being an issue, thinking people said, oh, it's fine, you know. Your dad knows how to do laundry. It'll be okay. But then just all of those questions started flooding in. Like, this is all the stuff that my mother does for us and is responsible for. So what are we going to do now?
0: (laughs) My concerns in the aftermath of my mom's death were a little bit more selfish in nature. I had asked for, like, a specific Barbie for my birthday, which was the next month. And I was like, well, mom said she'd get me this Barbie. And now she's dead. So, okay. Before you call me a spoiled brat, hear me out. This was not just any Barbie. This was the 1996 Happy Holidays Barbie, which a quick Google search confirms is now worth $829 on eBay. Some may even call that an investment. But that's who's going to get me the Barbie? But that's, that's
1: interesting and that's what we we're talking about earlier with the whole as a child it's kind of a self-serving viewpoint like yeah how does my life change now and you don't think so much about the people mm-hmm. around you and i think that like in hindsight all the adults around us we're not thinking about those things but how do we make sure that these kids turn out fine as motherless daughters
0: When I look back on all of this now, what causes me the most pain isn't my own experience of loss as a six-year-old, but rather the experience of the adults who held my world together as best they could in the days, weeks, and months that followed my mom's death.
1: I think that's one of the things about death is that when you deal with it as a kid, you deal with it from a kid perspective, and it really does center around you. Because that's how kids operate, you know, like it's very, that's just the way it is. Um, And then as you get older and go through different experiences in your life, you think back on that major experience from your current perspective and imagine like what it like, what would it have been like for Lillian to sit there knowing that she had died (laughs) and that we were about to get life changing news and not be able to say a thing.
0: We now hurt for the people milling about in our home watching two little girls with the knowledge that their mother had died, waiting for their dad to come deliver the news. We now hurt for my father, whose overwhelming grief in the aftermath of my mom's death caused him to be physically ill. We hurt for my grandparents, who lost their only child and quite honestly died that day along with her. You see, childhood grief is like grief by a thousand cuts. You get older, and with that, your brain grows the capacity to see your tragedy with new eyes. The wound can never quite heal, it's always rubbing against the change in your perspective, and opens right back up again. You grow up and fall in love, and then you grieve for your father who lost the love of his life in the prime of their lives. And then you have kids, and you find yourself grieving for your own dead mother. For her loss of you. The grief it never goes away. You just find a new vantage point from which to grieve. That's it for part one of our first episode of Talk Dying to Me. If you found value in what you heard today, stick around for part two, which is now available on the Talk Dying to Me website at www.talkdyingtome.com, as well as iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you go for your podcast needs. I'm Lauren. And I so look forward to having you join us as my sister and I continue this conversation in part two of this inaugural episode of Talk Dying to Me. See you then.